0: hello everyone and welcome to another episode of retail refined a market scale podcast with your host me melissa gonzalez today i'm so excited to share that we have rebecca minkoff on with us An industry leader in accessory, luxury handbags, accessories, footwear, and apparel, Rebecca's modern bohemian designs are inspired by strong, confident, and powerful women who embody the effortless, free-spirited lifestyle. After developing an affinity for design while in the costume department in high school, Rebecca moved to New York City at age 18 to pursue her dream of becoming a fashion designer. Fast forward in September 2018, when she established the Female Founder Collective, a network of businesses led by women who invest in women's financial power across socioeconomic spectrum by enabling and empowering females' own businesses. She is a powerhouse with her designs Um, with her company, Rebecca Minkoff, but also a pioneer in what's happening in the retail tech landscape, which is what I'm really excited to dig in on today.
1: Rebecca, thank you so much for being with us today. Gosh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to dive in and chat all things.
0: Yes, yes. So before I do that, I gave a super high
1: level of, of, of you and your company, but can you tell our audience a little bit more? Of course. So I started my company officially. I say officially because that's when I registered my tax ID in (laughs) 2005. um, I became most known for a bag at that time called the morning after bag, which was all about really tying into experiences that women have and identify so strongly with the handbag that was with them. Um, It was the sex in the city day. So that bag really resonated with lots of women. And we've expanded the brand into a full lifestyle brand with clothing, belts, Scarves, jewelry, watch accessories. Um, you know, we have a couple of new categories launching later this year, but we really want to dress uh, a woman from head to toe and make her feel more confident, more fearless, and just give her that little extra oomph that happens when you put on a great leather jacket or you've got your bag with you that means so much to a woman.
0: It definitely does. And I think from when we're talking now, as doors are starting to open again, I'm already seeing women getting out of those sweatsuits and dressing cute <laughs> and wanting to go to brunch again. So uh, I'm excited to see the streets filled with women dressed and and feeling empowered again. Um, and in addition to you know empowering others, I think you you also empower and push the industry forward. Um, and and that's there's a number of things around that that I want to dig into today. You've been a pioneer in the fashion industry with technology, Um, honestly, one can't Google magic mirror without Rebecca Minkoff showing up in search results. And you were testing this on early on. Um, What do you think are the biggest pain points and opportunities when it comes to the fitting room and retail?
1: So I think that we're still in the dark ages of fitting rooms at retail. And I think that retail uh, brick and mortar is missing out on incredible opportunity to just understand more about their customer. You know, the incredible things that we did that benefited the customer was one side of it, but also what we learned as retailers was hugely beneficial on the flip side of it. So we learned that we could upload all of our inventory and this happened by mistake, by simply putting the box into the room and you didn't have to do the manual scanning. I mean, how much more productive would that be for staff to just put a box in a room and know what was uh, inside? Um, I think that we learned when there were fit issues, when we saw certain price points performing against others, you know, we saw a $900 jacket leave with a $40 t-shirt, which forced us to sort of expand our, our sweet spot of price points. So I think that if retailers could have that data in the way they have it, online, you would just be a better retailer. You'd have a more successful brick and mortar. So, you know, we launched it. There's been, I joke that the amount of different companies we've toured through there uh, have done it bigger and better than we could have ever imagined. But I still think that overall, that landscape is not with the times. And I think, especially as we reemerge, it's gonna become important. Because now the customer is so used to the online experience that if she doesn't get that in a store, she'll be like, "Ugh, I'm just gonna order online." No, absolutely, absolutely, and I think that um, we recently did a
0: survey on our end. You know, diving further into the fitting room, and more people than I expected responded to um, wanting these and and actually having a more forward thinking point of view of what the dressing room experience could be, what that fitting room could be. And they see that clothing and apparel is where they find the highest value add when it comes to fit technology. And when they talked about the biggest pain points in the dressing room, it was access to additional sizing. And then also for women, the ability to have real-time access while in the dressing room, what are my additional options? Just
1: the idea that you can press a button and get a new size is a huge game changer. If that's all that people adopted, you know, from a customer service point of view or different uh, lighting opportunities that really set the mood for when you're buying an evening dress, what will it look like in that setting? Uh, being able to call an associate instead of that, you know, your, half, your pants half up, sort of head out the, out the closet that we all know. Imagine if you just had to press a button and she arrived. So I think that uh, there's a bare minimum if you can't invest in the technology that we were able to um, get there's a bare minimum that you can do analog style you can have a dimmer you can have a button and you know you can have uh you know an easy like bring me another size button uh, that that can make it possible for retailers to just begin to scratch the service of what they can do for their customers
0: no absolutely absolutely and speaking of scratching the surface, i also think we're just still only scratching the surface, even with so much innovation that moved forward during COVID of being able to get those insights from a physical location and be able to attribute those insights. Um, and like you said, make decisions on merchandising and pricing. And so there's so much opportunity that still exists there.
1: Another hundred oh, inno- oh, percent. Yeah. Go
0: ahead. No, it's okay. Um, another innovation that you're known for is, is buy now and pushing the traditional aspects of Fashion Week forward to meet the needs and customers uh, of today. Um, Where do you see that evolving in the industry in the years to come?
1: You know, sadly, um, I think that a lot of people tried it and they couldn't figure out all the right pieces of the puzzle and then they abandoned it. And they said, screw it, it's too difficult. I'm just gonna go back to showing, you know, in advance. I think if people, and we've broken it down a lot in the hopes that others would follow, if people could really adopt that model, not only would it um, help the industry, I think, move forward with where the customer is at, but from a sustainability point of view, you, if, if every single, even American designer adopted that same mentality, you know, the fast fashion retailers of the world, which are the largest contributors of waste within the fashion industry, wouldn't have anything to copy. Right. Cause they're always good at getting it ahead of season. And the girls, mm-hmm. like, I'm going to go to Zara and get it there. Uh, but if they don't have that ability, then why would the customer go there? And so I think that from a sustainability, from an inventory perspective, you can be so much smarter about planning the inventory when you know what people have bought and you're not taking guesses. And then also from a press and and media perspective, you know what the top sellers were, you know what editors and stylists liked. That's what you can rally around and push at your show so the customer sees that instead of sort of throwing a bunch of stuff on a runway and, and you're not sure at the end of the day what people will like. So Um, you know, I think there's a couple of us holding out and we're never going to go back to the other way. It just doesn't make sense for our customer base, but Mm -hmm. I do wish that more embraced it. No, for sure. I do think that the consumer is going to continue to push that forward because
0: they're going to be more vocal about that desire too of of that immediate, you know, gratification or, um, I don't. Know, I just think we think differently as consumers today. You're not thinking of what you know what you want seasons from now. Um, so the other aspect too, when we think of fashion week too, is live stream and how that's
1: been intersecting with your brand. Um, what makes that successful? So w- when we had a runway presentation, we would live stream it. We found that it wasn't that successful in terms of when you looked at the cost of that. Uh, embedding it on our website and the views that it got in the immediate time period, it wasn't actually enough to be beneficial at all. If we recorded it and didn't spend all the money to have it be live, people were still, same amount of people went and watched it afterwards. Um, When we have presentations, it's a little bit different because the models are standing still. So how we've utilized live streaming is, you know, Instagram live, nothing crazy there technologically, but I'm giving fans an advanced kind of preview of what's to come before anyone goes in the room. They can also shop, you know, immediately and they're getting a personal walkthrough. So we use it as a tool to foster, again, connection and sort of something that some, you know, the people tuning in get before the actual physical people arrive. But um, I think it differs for different brands and the value of that. Obviously, if you're Chanel and you're Marriott in Idaho and you're never going to get to a, go to a Chanel show, that live is probably really exciting. but. I don't know for us that it's a it's a it's been a huge game changer.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes
1: sense. It is interesting, I think, how how it has evolved,
0: you know, live stream over over this year because of the limitations of physical um, and and the more shoppable aspect that's been integrated into it. But we'll see as doors open too. You know, if people still gravitate there, or they start gravitating to those physical um, retail experiences again, which I think I think everybody's clamoring for. Um, earlier this year, you actually released Rebecca Minkoff NAR an augmented reality in order to give consumers an immersive look into your collection. Can you tell us a little bit about that process? Did you find that successful in helping your audience contextualize your collection in a deeper way?
1: I think we always like to experiment and working with Riot Labs, which is um, owned mm-hmm. by now Yahoo, but was Verizon. It's very confusing, all their all their connections. Um, it was the ability to give, you know, as realistic of a garment uh, in 3D as possible, which we thought was important because our presentations went from being able to have five to 800 people come through to having 120. And then the 120 that came were like the brave, COVID warriors that were like, it doesn't matter, fashion. Um, And so I think to be able to give as much as we could an experience to people that didn't come, uh, this is what it looks like. And you can turn it around and see what it looks like. I thought was incredible. I think the quicker we can integrate that into an e-commerce experience, Mm -hmm. the better. Uh, of course, it's always great to see it on a model. It's always great, you know, to see it uh, a model in video. But I think there is something nice about being able to see something in 3D uh, and zoom into the details of that, that you can only do with AR. are. So uh, we're going to hopefully be continuing the partnership with them for next season and have some exciting things in the works. Well, I love that. I love that. Um, it's funny because there, pre-COVID, so many people still
0: didn't fully... Um, embrace or understand AR. And I always tell the story, even my mom, you know, she had to figure out her hair color during COVID because she couldn't get her roots dyed and she couldn't look at her grays anymore. And so she downloaded her first augmented reality app and she went for it and, you know, she figured it out. And by the second try, she got the perfect color. And now she's like, oh, with augmented reality, I could Find out information I never thought was possible, and I can interact with the brand in a different way. So I think if she could figure it out, you know, your target demo probably could really um, embrace that. Um, What are you seeing now as you think in the years ahead, right? Especially coming out of the year we just had, where a lot of technology um, experimentation was pushed forward. How do you see the opportunity for online offline integration looking as, as doors more fully open?
1: I think there's going to be definitely some things that continue to exist. We've done uh, a lot of, uh, I guess, we've sent out a lot of text messages. It's been one of our most successful uh, Mm. sales uh, venues. We work with Attentive. And so as intimate as text is, it's probably the most intimate form of communication from a brand to consumer. We've seen huge results with that. So we'll we'll be keeping that. I do think even though... It is slow to be adopted and the technology in the United States is lacking. You know, we did several live streams with shop shops as they entered the U.S. market. We have an incredible streaming business in China. And so the the quicker that the U.S. can adopt that where you get to meet the designer, see all the goods, or meet an ambassador, ask questions, I think is going to become increasingly important. Mm -hmm. And then I think good old traditional retail. I'm dying to get back into a store, talk to someone, see them without a mask on and have a conversation or be with friends and go do that. So I think, you know, like you said, I think people are clamoring to get out. Um, But I do think those sort of things that we become accustomed to are going to just be habits that people want to want to see.
0: No, absolutely. It's been an interesting surprise, I think, with the adoption of SMS. And, um, you know, two years ago, three years ago, it felt so invasive to give a brand or retail, your phone number so that they could text you. Um, but I think now it's been a huge client telling tool as well. Do you use it in that aspect too um, with your team?
1: We haven't used it yet in a client telling tool. Just we, we just don't have the manpower. Um, mm-hmm. We all talk about it, but um, with COVID and the downsizing we had to do from a team's perspective, we just don't have the bandwidth. Yeah. That makes sense. Maybe, maybe in
0: the future. But I think that also layering in the opportunity of personalization with those communications um, is a big opportunity. And uh, how, how do you how do you see that in your future? You know, your ability of all the data collection that you've had and being able to provide a more personalized experience for your consumers and those recommendations, like you talked about, pairing items together.
1: So we are in the middle of creating an entirely new website. It's it's time. We've had this one for quite quite a while. And so I think that our goal in doing that is the personalization can continue and can only get better. So again, when, when, when all the platforms can talk to each other in the proper way, which we're hoping happens in this next iteration, then we'll be able to do that so much better than we're doing now. In a perfect mm-hmm. world, the data we get from text messages would be like live fed to all of our uh, website, you know, metrics, but that hasn't happened yet, but it will happen. And then of course, you know, we want to recommend and we want to, you know, dive into her world and, and just make it easier so that she doesn't have to think about it. She's like, yes, good idea, Rebecca. I'm adding that to cart. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely.
0: That's what I always like. Like tell me how to look good and then I'll buy it. <laughs> That's what I mean. exactly. Um, so going beyond, um, your brand, you also have a new book, um, Fearless, yes. The New Rules of Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. So why did you write it and, and what are you looking for your readers to take away from that?
1: I wrote it because as I was reflecting on being in this industry for 20 years, I can't believe I'm saying that, um, okay. yeah, actually more, I moved to New York when I was 18, so 22 years, um, I felt like there was a wealth of, um, not advice, but just perspective that I could give to people and there were so many rules that existed when I started that I, that I wasn't going to be able to follow. I wasn't born into the right family. I didn't know Anna. Um, I didn't have the right editor, fashion friends. And so everything I did had to be about breaking rules to get in my foot in the door. And so I thought as I began to write this book that all those rules, whether you're in fashion or not, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, can help you in sort of defining your path to success. And I called it fearless, not because I'm like, oh, it's impossible, you know, you'll never have to have fear. I was never scared. It's just the idea that when you have a foundation of stable things to think with, when you're scared, you just don't let that emotion take over. You're like, no, wait, hold on. I'm scared, but this is what I have to apply to succeed. So my hope is that anyone wanting to just fuel their path to success can read it and, um, you know, get an entertaining story along the way. Uh, that that's really my goal is, is helping more women to take that next step and not listen to the fear. I think that's so important. You I need
0: mean, that toolbox, you know um, I definitely had my strengths and, and, and areas where I wasn't as strong as I was growing my business. which um, you know, we got acquired last year, but um, I would know where I had to go and I come from a finance background and then the numbers would scare me because I had too much of emotions behind it. And that ended yeah. up controlling me versus being tactile about it. If you could be tactical about it, um, it opens up the possibilities of so many things you can achieve.
1: A hundred percent. And I think people, people can get swept up in the emotion, but just realize the emotion has been hardwired into us to keep us safe. But when it comes to business, that is usually where you have to take more risks. So you can't listen to that emotion because it, it's, it's an opposing reality from what you have to do to really succeed in business.
0: No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, I actually need to get myself a copy so I could read it because I think it. I could always use um, that those extra tips um, for unlocking my creativity, courage, and, and moving towards even more success. So you've, over the years, like I said, you've been a pioneer, you've been a, a first mover, you know, you've kind of put a lot out there, you've tested a lot, you've iterated a lot. Um, some things have worked better than others, but what do you think is the future in the next five years, for example? Like, if all of these moving parts can come together, what what is that picture of what retail can become?
1: I think that I'll only answer that for us because everyone's <laughs> business is so different. Um, I think that as we emerge from this, we see that you know brick and mortar is a hundred percent key. It is one of the spokes in a wheel as you look towards um, not an, you know, an omnichannel, I guess, experience, but that your store isn't necessarily always gonna be where you just do sales. It's a place of community. It's a place for experimentation. It's a place for amplification of a brand's values. Um, And so how do you sort of take the traditional metrics that have always measured success and change that so that it's number of community connections made, number of ambassadors created, I think there's also a future for us in in ambassadors that are not your traditional uh, bloggers or influencers, women who have influence of 25 people, you know, and I think you've seen a lot of great brands build strong ambassador and communities. Mm -hmm. So we have the community, but now we want to build, you know, a layer above that of women sort of proselytizing the brand and what do they get for that and how can we empower them and reward them for that? Um, I think that, you know, something we're working on that's in its... Early stages, and I would be remiss if I didn't say it is, um, you know, we're talking about how NFTs play into our space Mm. and how we're going to sort of apply the Rebecca Minkoff lens to that. And then I think um, for us, we're going to be expanding more categories, which I'm excited and have been working hard on. Um, But the touch is going to become key. And that, again, you know, brick and mortar is one spoke. Uh, in the wheel that is the brand? And then how do you continue to touch her and enter the metaverse or all the other places that we're going to have to go?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things I'm excited about when it comes to more of this technology integration we've seen in store is hopefully illuminating the attribution of those in-store activities and giving freedom, more freedom to brands and retailers to say, it's not just about the sales and the four walls while, while doors are open, right? It's about how are we unlocking fandom? How are we empowering our ambassadors? You know, How are we getting her to buy five pieces instead of one because she understands the brand and the fit in a different way. And so um, I think that will only make the retail experience better for the consumer if, if brands and re- retailers can look at it with that lens versus you know thinking just about the four wall profitability and being limited by that.
1: Oh, for sure. I think people have to expand. They have to get out of their comfort zone, you know, not just reopening but reinventing.
0: Right. Exactly. Well thank you so much for being with us today. I think this was an insightful conversation. And as I mentioned, I continue to, you know, follow you and be inspired by how you push the industry forward. You're you're always a first mover and, and kind of getting it out there. And I think that's so important when it comes to innovation and technology, it's not always about it being perfect. It's about throwing it out there and seeing how consumers respond to it and constantly being open to iterate and then you know figure out what you wanna do next.
1: Thank so- you for having me. Uh, and yeah. I totally agree. I think you have to you have to be able to fearlessly try things. To you know, uh, a web developer is always optimizing, and they do it by trying things and seeing what works. And so we have to sort of take all those learnings and throw it throw it out there to the customer and see what happens.
0: No, absolutely. And I love the web developer correlation, because we do need to start thinking of physical retail in similar ways as we think about online and the ability to test and iterate and learn. So thank you again so much, everybody. This was Rebecca Mankoff, another episode of Retail Refined. Thank you for listening.